Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. You know, kind of partially sitting there. God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. Every bit of you. He always has and he always will. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot give part of yourself to God or his kingdom. You cannot partially, partially believe. You cannot partially surrender. You cannot partially, because you're not surrendered at all if you do that. Friends, you're all in or you're all out. You're all in or you're all out. My question today for you is, are you all in or are you all out? Which is it? God is a loving God. He's amazing. He offers grace and mercy to us. But He wants you all in. When you come to Christ, you say, God, how much of me do you want? He says, I want the whole thing. I mean, a better response from Him might be, well, how much of me do you want? Do you want part of God, or do you want all of God? Now, be honest. Because we're living like we only want part of God. You see, here's where we are. We want all of the benefits that God wants to give us with our salvation. We want His protection. We want His presence. We want Him to grease the skids for us and open doors and do all the things that God does. We want Him to heal us, prosper us, take care of us in our relationships, in our health, and everything else. We want God to do all of these things. And, and we say, God, and I, and I know that, and I can't wait until the whipped cream comes and the, and the chocolate cover topping comes on the ice cream when I get heaven with you. That's the end of it. And maybe even the cherry if I like them. There it is. I want all of that. But, but God, I'm not, I'm not so sure that I can identify with the cross here. I want everything you offer, but I don't know that I can die to self. I don't know that I can just give up of myself and don't let you take the reins or the wheel or whatever we want to call it. Because I kind of like, you know, the direction I'm going right now. And it's like, you're, you're, you're sitting, you know, God's driving the car and you're sitting over here on this side and once in a while, you know, uh, you just like, uh, and you want to take the wheel from him. Has anybody done that? And all of a sudden you and God are struggling with the wheel. Have you done that? It's like, God, no, 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 that's not And then you, God, I, I think you need to st- sit out on this one. Oh, my goodness, we've done it. You just now thought, oh, I've done it. I never looked at it that way, but I've done it. Mm-hmm. I know that because I found myself driving the car, and God wasn't in the car with me. Mm-hmm. Anybody been there? Mm-hmm. That's life, and that's a problem. And as a Christian, you can't do it. Come on. You really can't do it. Because if you're doing that, question is, are you a Christian? And my call to tell you if you're not, I see the indications, but God's going to tell you if you are or not. 
And he's the one that's going to determine. And I began to think about that, and I thought, okay, so look, let's take a look as we go this all in. And this, does it look, look great up here today? I mean, how many of you thought that black on the wall would be, oh, I don't know. But it looks pretty awesome, I think. And it's only paint, right? So we can change it anytime we want. But I like this all in. And notice how it's, it's the cross and our national flag and the whole idea of being all in, because our nation needs to be all in, too. We're not going to be a most favored nation if we're not all in on God. Exactly. You understand that? Exactly. What a beautiful context. And so all in. And today's message is Christ's commitment to us. We've got to start with looking. I mean, we're not sure we're going to commit to him until we know what he's done for us. That's a fact. So let's look at his commitment to us. And you know what, friends? I realized he made the first move. He did. He made the first move. A lot of times we'll sit in our pew or in our chair or wherever we are, you know, and we'll think, oh, I'm thinking about moving, I'm thinking about doing it, and then we don't. And God says, okay, I'll make the first move. I remember a number of years ago, we had a, when I was pastoring Sunlight Fellowship Wesleyan Church, I've told this story to some of you before, you've heard it, you've laughed your fool heads off when you've seen it and heard it, uh, but uh, we had a, uh, a gal in our church by the name of Dortha Sharp, and Dortha was something else. Uh, Dortha had a hanky. She always carried a hanky. Don't ask me why. And every now and then, the spirit would get a hold of her, and she would just start running around the church going, woohoo! <laughs> it was awesome. And, brother, when, and when I became the pastor, because at first I, I wasn't the pastor, when I became the pastor, I just learned to shut up when she did it, because, brother, that was more powerful than anything I would say. She'd walk up and down, woohoo! You know, and, so, and then we had this, this family used to come, uh, and I'm not going to tell you the stories, or tell you their names, uh, but uh, uh, as a gal and her husband and a couple of kids, uh, and we almost always had the gal and the kids, but almost never had the husband because he would usually be struggling with a hangover on Sunday. A uh, variety of things and indulge in things he probably shouldn't, and he always felt guilty, probably because she gave him the business or maybe just because he felt bad, I don't know. But every once in a while, he'd show up to church, and this one Sunday, he was there, and he clearly didn't want to be there. And we had a, uh, some of you have, have been to Sunlight Fellowship if you went to my daughter's wedding. Uh, I know mom and dad, you guys did, and uh, a couple of, of you did. Anyway, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's two, I, or two uh, aisles of pews and one center aisle, and it's longer than this. Uh, and I remember uh, this particular day, uh, this guy's name was Jess, and Jess was sitting, you know, round about right here, about where, maybe where Pastor Bob is on this, this side of the aisle. And, uh, it, it, and he was sitting, it was slunched down, and he was like this. Jess did not want to be here. And it was clear. And I had a message that Jess needed to hear, and I knew it. And I, and I, and I, I started the message, and, and I kept looking over at Jess. I don't do that anymore. I, I can't see you anyhow, but I don't, I, don't, I don't look and see, I don't think, who needs to see this and prepare a message for that? I don't, I don't look at you and say, I hope they're hearing what I'm saying. I, I don't do that anymore, because that's up to God. But as a dumb young pastor, I did it. And I would say, and I, was, and I kept watching Jess, and I just wasn't getting anything from him. He, he just wasn't, he just, and now I can see his eyes starting to get heavy, you know, kind of like Mass do once in a while, right? He just kind of gets, <laughs> I can pick on him, and he knows it. But anyway, so, so right? But he was, he was you, you've seen that person. This like, they, don't want, they have no interest in being there. They're there because somebody was going to give them grief if they didn't go. And so, and it kept going, it kept going, it kept going. And then all of a sudden, my words weren't getting through, and God called Dortha. And she stood up and, woo! Brother, she was up and down the aisles, and I just stepped back and said, okay, let her do her thing. And I thought, I don't know if I'll finish the message or not. Depends on how long she goes. 
And she went around and around and around, and she said, I just want to praise the Lord. I think everybody ought to praise the Lord. Everybody ought to get saved, and they ought to praise the Lord. And she kept walking up, and she walked right over to Jeff. She goes, I want to get saved. Don't you want to get saved? Don't you want to praise the Lord? He said, yeah. She said, come on. His brother, she grabbed him and took him to the altar, and he was like sitting there. His eyes were like (laughs) wide, and she was like, and she was like on it, brother. Now, I don't know if Jeff got saved that day, but I'll tell you what. She opened his eyes. God makes the first move. And whether or not that young man did anything with it, I don't know, but God made the first move. He did it for me, too, and I know how, and he did it for you, and you know how. And the fact is, God made a lot of first moves, didn't he? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 to 12 and then 18 to 21. 6 to 12 and 18 to 21, Romans 5. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to us, friends, in a, in a very specific way. And he, and, he, and he captions this about our joy and our peace, if you're, if you're reading the NIV. Uh, and he says, starting there in uh, verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sins, he died for us. That's the key. He died for us, friends, while we were still doing what he told us not to do. You wonder about the return on investment, don't you? We'll talk about that. Since we have now been justified, remember that word, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, there it is, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, Just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through the sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. And then down in 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous the law was added so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through jesus christ our lord now friends in our new series all in a life of commitment this message is entitled Christ's commitment to us. And I want to start there because I think you have to understand exactly what his commitment really was. Because I think we take it for granted. I think we don't even know the depth of it. Because it explores this gospel message in Romans 5. And the Apostle Paul wrote about God in Christ providing salvation for us while we live hopelessly and helplessly in our sin. Sometimes we use the phrase, 
he or she made the first move to describe something someone did. And it, it indicates that somebody took the initiative. Okay? Someone took the initiative. You're with me, right? Don't worry about what's going on here. Look up here. Okay? Someone took the initiative. They, took, they made the first move. Now, this can happen positively on a chessboard when people play a game, or it can happen negatively, right, in retaliation when somebody accuses another person as the first offender. So it can be positive or negative. Amen? Kids, are you with me today? Do you understand? Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, Bishop, they're not, they're not listening today, bud, so you need to me on them. Okay, so listen, listen carefully. Now, God made the first move. In fact, Paul insists that he did. I think sometimes we think, no, 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 I went to God and he responded. No, no, no. God has been pursuing you from the moment of your birth. Exactly. It's a plane. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. He has been pursuing you from the moment of your birth. Well, no, the truth of it is before that. Now, I've heard uh, evangelists get up in a hot tabernacle, sweating profusely, screaming and hollering, running around the stage, banging on the pulpit and saying that they were saved and sanctified at two years old. Well, I didn't remember anything at two years old. So I don't know how true that is. But I know that somewhere along my ch child life, God was pursuing me. It happened before that, but I wasn't aware of it until a certain point. In fact, you amass people, or anybody who goes to Trace Dias or the Great Banquet or any of these others, you know what prevenient grace is. And you know that prevenient grace is God's grace pursuing you before you knew it existed or that you needed it. Right? You do know that, right? Well, if you, you don't, let's go on a walk. Because the fact of the matter is God's been pursuing you. He always has. Okay, so the creator pursued us. It wasn't us that did it. He came after us. Exactly. And basically, we stopped, turned around, and faced him and said, okay. That's what happened. And so Paul insists that he made the first move. In fact, he said God proves his own love, and Christ died for us. And with this terminology, Paul here is being wickedly clear that salvation is a cooperative endeavor. It's something that we both have to agree on. We both have to be involved in. God wants to save you, but he can't do it unless you, ask, you want it. You have to accept it and desire it and go for it. That's why he keeps pursuing us until we say, yeah. He keeps pursuing us, and he never tires of it because he wants us to be in heaven with him. Now, you might pursue somebody because you want a relationship with them, or you want something from them, or you want something for them. Who knows? But after a while, as humans, we tire, and we think it's not worth the pursuit anymore. Aren't you grateful that God never did that? Come on now, watch out. <laughs> Aren't you grateful that God has never done that? Amen. He's never stopped pursuing you. you get, I got news for you too. God hasn't stopped pursuing you even after you said yes. Mm -hmm. He wants a deeper relationship with you, Amen. and he never stopped. That's correct. He never will. Right. See, this is how God operates. And so this... Salvation is a cooperative endeavor, but it's not just between us and God. It's between the Father and the Son, too. Because yes. the Son could have said no, mm -hmm. and aren't you grateful that he didn't? Amen. 
God gave him every opportunity to say no. And when the son asked him if he could, God said, no, I need you to do it. Since said, okay. I don't want to. I'd rather not. But I see what I'm going to be redeeming here. I agree. And he did so in his Godship as well as his humanship. And I'm not sure, Craig, if that's a Danerism, like we used to call him, or if that's an actual word, but I'm using it. Okay? So he did it. He pursued us, and it was a cooperative endeavor. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Both father and son provided redemption, and the invitation to redemption is offered to everyone, friends, regardless, get this, of their background, who they've been, where they've been, or whatever they've been involved in. Doesn't matter. That's why the song says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon received. See, in our justice system, we're not sure we'll pardon them no matter how heartfully sorry they are. But God does. But God does. And I think, wow. And after the father gave the son, the son gave his life for a people that may or may not accept eternal life with him. He gave his life, and they may or may not accept what he offers. Now, I would think, why wouldn't we? But the fact is, we may not. In other words, his commitment to us was there regardless of our commitment to him. And more than that, he made the first move. So let's look at that. The first thing I need to call your attention to is that Christ is offered as a sacrifice to us who are the sinful. You've got to understand that you are sinful whether you think so or not. Now, you see, in, in our humanness, we'll look at people, and what we'll do is we'll say, well, I might not be perfect, but the fact is so-and-so is a lot worse than me. Right? When you notice, we never say, well, man, so-and-so is way better than I am. I need to step. No. We go, well, we always look for somebody who's worse. Because then the standard doesn't have to be very high. Why do, I com- why do we compare ourselves, right, to somebody who's worse? Because that's what Satan wants you to do. Because if you can find yourself to be better, then why do you need to change? If there's always somebody worse, well, friends, there's always going to be somebody worse than you. And there's probably always going to be somebody better, too. But you know what? You don't get to determine what's worse and what's better. God does. God says what's right and wrong, what's acceptable and what's not. God says what's heaven-bound and what isn't. God says what's Christian and what's not. God says what's good in your behavior and what isn't. What comes out of your mouth is good or not. God says that. We don't. Oh, we want to have a say-so in it. But God says, no, that's me. And I have news for you. Sacrifice is required. Now, I think we struggle with this thing of sacrifice because we don't know that what God has done or demanded is necessary. We want to determine what a punishment or what justification ought to be. We want to determine what's acceptable and what isn't. But God is a creator of everything, including, get this, human life. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me how you came about. I don't care if you came about legitimately or illegitimately. It doesn't make any difference. What I mean by that, if, if your parents were married and wanted you or they didn't, or you were, you were concepted through something that wasn't in a marriage. It doesn't matter. That's right. I used to think it did, because that's how my life began. 
And I used to feel less than because of that. But I had nothing to do with it. What I do know is that God had a purpose for my life. And it doesn't matter how I got here. You understand? It doesn't matter how I got here. And when someone who is the object uh, of, of someone's horrible uh, rape, they, they certainly think that they're not worth anything. And the fact is, God says, oh, yes, you are. It does not matter how it happened. It's horrible that it happened that way. But the fact is, you're here. I love you. You're mine. And I want you in eternity. And I have a plan for you. And it's a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. It, Jeremiah doesn't say, depending on how you were concepted, he says, I have it. So, friends, you were worth it. You understand? Every one of you is worth it. So, God created human life and everything else, and He alone determines right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable. He's determined what sin is. He has forbidden humankind to be sinful or to practice sinful things. But when they do, he has mandated that a sacrifice for that sin must take place. And he said that the spilling of blood, something has to die in order for you to be absolved of that sin. Before Jesus, that was animals. And uh, I don't remember who it was, but a number of years ago, a theologian started looking at the amount of animals on the earth and how they would reproduce and at what rate. And he determined that God had to change to a more perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ once and for all because if we had continued along this course and path, we'd have wiped out the animals for our sins. That stuns me. But I can see that that's possible. So the fact of the matter is, I'm grateful for Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament is filled with examples of the acceptable sacrifices that the Hebrews offered to God. Their practices through the centuries prepared people of faith for the good news of God's ultimate sacrifice, what I call his ultimate sacrifice. And as John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, my friends, is God's greatest sacrifice. Say it with me. Jesus is God's greatest sacrifice. Jesus is God's greatest sacrifice. And as such, he is a sacrifice that needs not happen again, nor can it happen again. You see, in the Old Testament, animals kept being sacrificed over and over and over and over again. And sometimes the people would sacrifice animals for new sins, and sometimes they kept sacrificing them for sins that they sacrificed for last year and the year before that. They kept doing them. Christ is once and for all, doesn't need to be done again, cannot be done again. Why? Because he's the ultimate perfect sacrifice. So, more than that, Jesus became a sacrifice with no guarantees. And you're like, what? There's no guarantee? No. There's a guarantee of your salvation if you accept it. But there is no guarantee that you would accept it. That's the key. Christ went to the cross having no guarantee that any of us would say yes. Zero. Notice that Paul insisted that the sacrifice of Christ was made when we were still in our sins. And I think I reiterated that when I read the verse. 
Now, God doesn't come to us with this demand that we change our life or turn over a new leaf. No, God demands that we repent of our sin and trust the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's right. That what he did is good enough. Because lots of people turn from sin but never get saved. Lots of people turn from wrongdoing and never do anything about it. A lot of people might stop doing things, but that doesn't absolve you of what you've done. You have to repent of it, ask for forgiveness, receive that forgiveness, turn 100% away from it, and then... God offers grace. Then God offers grace, and you don't have to pay the penalty because Christ did it for you. You understand? The fact is, while we were still living in rebellion against God, He provided salvation to us. He gave the costly sacrifice of His Son who died for the sins of all of us and did so once and for all. And he did this, my friends, knowing that many, even most, would not choose to change their lives or live under his authority. Because we do not want to live under any authority at all. Come on now. That's right. None of us wants authority in our lives. We only want authority in our lives when we can't fix what's wrong. Other than that, we want complete autonomy. What does that mean? I want to come and go, do as I please, think what I want, do what I want, right? All right, now. All right. Right? Because I've told you time and again, time and again, because we believe what we want to believe, so we can do what we want to do. That's never changed, never changed since the history of humankind. We never did. And yet God did it anyway. He wasn't sure what everybody would do in his humanness, but in his Godship he knew. To be honest with you, I don't see it as a very good return on investment. I don't, I don't know that I would have done the deal. I look out at humankind today and I think, I don't know. And some days I might say, no way. But Jesus, Carol, looked ahead in time. And when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. I was on his mind. You were on his mind. And he said, yes. I wouldn't, but he did. Wow, that's stunning to me. Because to him, if even one would return... To live a life for him, it would have been worth it. Come on now. That's pretty amazing love to our people who really only want to reject it. <laughs> Did you hear that? That's pretty amazing love to people who really only want to reject it. Wow. So Christ is offered as a sacrifice to us who are the sinful. Secondly, Christ is offered as a reconciler to us who are the lost. I think a lot of people don't think we're lost. I remember a number of years ago, uh, uh, there, were, there was a talk show, and I can't remember, I don't think it was Phil Donahue, but it was one of those talk shows, and they were trying to debunk Christianity. They were terribly liberal and, and left-leaning in everything they thought, uh, and uh, of course they thought that Christians were ridiculous and, you know, restrictive and all this yeah. stuff, and, and what, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they had Rick Warren on there uh, when he first put out his book 
uh, The Purpose Driven Church, which was the first book he, he published. Uh, I think those books should have been reversed, but either way, uh, both of them are tremendous. Unfortunately, The Purpose Driven Life is the only one that gets much attention. Yeah. Read The Purpose Driven Church. It came out first, but read it, and you'll, it'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Either way, Rick was on there, uh, and there was somebody else, and, 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 the, and the, uh, the person whose show it was said, uh, you know, uh, uh, sing, sing uh, Amazing Grace to me. And, of course, they, with gusto, began to Amazing Grace, you know, to say to a wretch like me. And he went nuts on them. He said, I was never a wretch, and I'm not a wretch now. I don't care what you were. We're not all wretches, you guys. Get a life. And I thought, boy, ignorance must really be bliss. You have no idea, do you? You have no idea. Well, thank you. You're the lost. Well, thank you. I was lost. <laughs> right? I didn't know it, but I was. Right? I had some kind of an idea about it, though. Because here, here's what we do. I know for a fact, guys are worse with this than girls are. You, 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 will, you will be lost somewhere, and you'll swear you're not. And your wife, bless her heart, or will sit there and say, you know, I, I, think, I think we might be lost. No, 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 no. In your mind, you're thinking, oh, maybe. But I ain't going to tell her that. No. And then guys think, we'll come out to a road I'll recognize. We'll come out because we're all, you know, we got good, keen sense of direction, you know. And so we're, I'm pretty sure, if you, every guy says, if I drive long enough, I will eventually come to a highway, I promise you. And it'll tell me on the sign if it's north or south of what it is. Right? right. Guys, who's done that? <laughs> and see, they ain't raise their hands, but their Amen. spouses are pointing at them. Amen. Yeah. You know? Oh, yes. I, I think the best one was uh, my stepmom told my dad one time, we're lost. And dad said, everybody's lost somewhere. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people lost somewhere. Define lost. Right? <laughs> I'm not lost. I might just be misplaced a little bit. Yeah. But I'm telling you, we were lost. Friends, I have a statement for you. I need everybody to look up at me for a minute. Write this down. Are you ready? And if you see somebody who's refusing to do it, nudge them and raise your hand and tell me they're doing it. Listen to me. Listen to me online. Listen to me at Mecca. A sinner is an enemy of God. I want everybody to know that I'm repeating that because the Bible says it's true. A sinner is an enemy of God. Period. Now, what's an enemy? An enemy is somebody that's completely against you. They want to harm you. They will not be under your authority. They want to be over you, or they, dif- they differ and disagree with you, and their ways, their thoughts, their, uh, their everything is different than you, and your opposites. And enemies typically try to harm one another. They try to subdue one another. They try to defeat one another. And they usually never come together on anything. A sinner is an enemy of God. Now, you remember what an enemy is. And understand that you are an enemy of God when you're sinning. Now, I know that we've been taught and programmed not to believe that. It's the whole, we're all children of God thing. And that God is love, and so no human could ever be his enemy. 
or something like, a loving God would never even consider us to be his enemy, and he would never send anybody to hell. I've heard that I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, God isn't sending you to hell. You're sending yourself there. Not the point, though. Yes, a loving God yes. considers you his enemy if you're sinning toward him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why? Because you are. Hey. And you can say, no, 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 I like God. I do. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're sinning, God says you're his enemy. And if you are, then you are. You can't change that until you reconcile to him, until you stop being his enemy. And you can't stop being his enemy until you stop sinning. You understand? That's right. Friends, preachers don't want to say that today. They don't want to stand up here and tell you that. They don't want that online for sure. Well, you're just, you know, that one there, well, he's or she's, you know. They say that stuff. Oh, my goodness. I'm just, I'm repeating what it says. The word of God is clear that it's true. James 4.4, Romans 5.10. Write them down. James 4.4, Romans 5.10. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There it is. I don't know how you take that any other way. It is what it is. I don't know what it is what it is means, but I think it fits here. And look at this one. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He basically says, you're an enemy of God, period. Clearly, friends with the world means we participate in the things of the world, which means sin, <laughs> right? Isn't, isn't, aren't the things of the world sinful? Aren't they? Friends, aren't they? Well, come on, if you disagree, say so. If you don't, don't just sit there and be quiet, say amen. Listen, and if you're not convinced, make an appointment with me. You will be before you leave. Because it, it's not my opinion. I had to be convinced too. I didn't want to be. But God said, no, your opinion doesn't count. Your feelings don't count. What you want to believe doesn't count. What I say goes, period. And I say, if you want to do the things that are out there, if you want to live like the world does, then you're my enemy, period. Because I told you not to do those things. You do things that I say don't do, you're an enemy. Wow. God is also clear that we were enemies of him before we were ever reconciled to him. While you're a sinner, you're an enemy. And so what was between us and the reconciliation? Sin. Sin stood between you and God because you didn't want his authority and you wouldn't surrender. And then maybe you sort of surrendered a little bit and said, I can give you this much today, but I'm still going to keep doing this stuff that I like. And God's like, wait a minute. Either you're all in or you're all out. Which is it? But somehow, deep down in the recesses of our human understanding, we think we can be partially in and we're saved. But I can continue to walk over here and do this other stuff. Had a good friend of mine a number of years ago, and I know he's in Florida now, and I haven't talked to him for a long, long time, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. 
if I used him today, I didn't call him and ask him, and if he's listening, which I doubt, but if he is, his name was Mitran Lisby. Mm-hmm. And Mitran Lisby uh, was the uh, top dog under Danny Tanus with the Vigo County School Corporation for a long time. He was in charge of secondary education. Yeah. And Mitran Lisby got saved. And it and, and and it was it was it was a big salvation. <laughs> he said he God brought him a lot further than he, almost anybody else he ever did, because he 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 said you know and I got saved and it started God was in my life. I'm going to church. And I went to uh, over here at Memorial United Methodist and he said and I and he, and he came to Emmaus and he started do, and and if you've ever heard Mike and Lizzie speak, uh, it, it was very uh, uh, how would I put it? Uh, it was very educational. Uh, he, everything he did and said was from a very educated standpoint and Mitran got on his knees in front of that group of men and he said and I realized that I thought I was saved and I was but I hadn't surrendered everything Mm -hmm. and here's what I had to do he said I was driving to work one day and I used to like this radio program on 105.5 it's called the Bob and Tom show now Bob and Tom wasn't always bad but sometimes they were pretty vulgar and he said, and I was driving along one day, and I was laughing, you know, about some things they were saying. And I had just done my devotion, and I was, you know, and he said, out of the blue, I said, you know, God, that was funny. That really was funny. And God said, is it? And God said, does it build my kingdom in any way? And Mitran said he stopped the, stopped the car. He got out. And on the side of the road, he said, God, I surrender everything I am to you, every bit of it. Thank you for saving me. I've been safe for some time now, and I've been doing a lot of the right things, but I haven't surrendered all of it, and I'm surrendering this to you. But I'm going to struggle because I know that I'm going to get in the car tomorrow, and I'm going to probably want to turn them on because they're funny. And maybe some Christians can listen to them, and that's fine. They know when to shut it off when they're not good. He said, but I just listen to all of it and think I can pick and choose and just sort it out. He said, but God... I know that's that my problem. He said, it's almost like someone who, who can handle alcohol and someone who can't. Come on now. You know, some people can have a drink or two, and they're done. Some people start one, and they can't stop. Mm-hmm. And now that leads to things that is bad. Oh, yeah. The fact of the matter is, not, just if it's not what's best for you, don't do it. That's right. And he said, I knew that Bob and Tom wasn't good for me. <laughs> I'm not judging other people if they listen to it or not. But is it what's best for the kingdom? Clearly no. And so he said, I had to stop it. And, and friends, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about here. God reconciled you to himself. And the fact of the matter is, when you're not fully surrendered, you're still an enemy of some sort. And that sin stood before you and God. Now, the New Testament has many synonyms for salvation, and reconciliation is one of them. And it means to remove barriers from a relationship. In this case, the barriers are on our side, not God's side. He doesn't have any barriers toward us. God never walked away from you. God never put a barrier between you and him. If there's a barrier, who put it there? Not him. In fact, Christ removed all of them. Christ removed every barrier there was. And you know what we've done? Uh, but I like that one, so we put it back. I kind of like that one, God, so I'm going to put that one back. Can't, can't we just leave this one here? And God said, why would you want any barriers between me and you? For what? Well, I kind of like that one. 
Yeah, but it's a barrier. I know, but it's not a full barrier. <laughs> Who's made that deal? Come on. You've made the deal with yourself. Surely that can't be that bad. And we're sure that God isn't telling us that it is. You see? Again, this is another thing we don't want to believe. Why? Because we've been taught that God is this big, bad, rigid, and unaccepting disciplinarian who only wants to force us to do what he wants. That's, that's what we've been taught. That's what society teaches us. That's what the enemy teaches us. And that's honestly sometimes what certain Christian people in the church teach other Christians. Because they want to make their own brand of Christianity, which you can't. None of us can make our own brand. We do it. But God doesn't accept it. You see, that's a sermon for another day, but, and you're going to get that one too. But the problem is, this is why so many Christians want to separate God the Father and Christ the Son. Because one is mean, and the other is loving and accepting. And they think that Him accepting us means that He accepts all the simple things we want to do and still love us and give us salvation. No! That's not what it means. Christ never accepted sinfulness, and he never said, go ahead and do it. Come on now. That's right. In fact, he said everything he does backs up what the Father says mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Everything. Again, this is what we've been taught. Yet we've chosen to sin and therefore are ungodly. And as ungodly people, we are, according to verse 10, enemies of God. Yeah? I mean, how, friends, there are areas of the Scripture that we might interpret differently. I get that. This cannot be one of them. Come on now. And if we're trying to interpret it differently than an enemy of God, then it's because we want to, and we don't want to believe it, and we want to do what we want to do. Because we're going to believe what we want to believe. There's, there, there's, there's no way out of this. You can't do it. You can't do it. And this means that God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three in one, all the same. And here's the deal. Reconciliation in Scripture doesn't mean that God is petty, he's, over, he's overreacting, he's mean, or that he has withdrawn from us. That's not what it means. Right, it means that we brought on the separation between us due to our own bad choices. And let's face it, we've made a few. Right, amen. Anybody in here ever made a bad choice? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Listen to Romans 3.23. You know, you know the verse, don't you? Shouldn't have to tell you. You should have it written right here. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. God had, friends, listen to this. God had every right to be offended. Every right. Nevertheless, he demonstrated his love by providing the means of our salvation. And he did it through Christ's son in order simply to reconcile us, the lost, to himself. And he did not have to do that. He wanted to out of love for us, even while we were still sinning. And that's why I think it wasn't a very good return on investment. But he thought it was absolutely a good return. We were sinning. We were disobedient. And we were separated from him. He did it anyway. Does that sound like a mean, self-centered, judgmental, and totalitarian father to you? Because it doesn't to me. You see, reconciliation brings restoration and acceptance. In fact, reconciliation in- indicates that we don't have to live life without the partnership of our Creator. We'll, we, we try to, but we don't have to. 
Friends, in other words, you don't have to live sinfully. You don't have to live unsurrendered. We tell ourselves we have to do that because we can't help it. And God says, no, no, you don't have to. You may choose to, but you don't have to. But that's the way we live today. We do not want to take responsibility for anything. It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Or it's something that nobody could do. Well, no one could do it. And if we can, if the devil can use us and other people to convince everyone that being perfect in God's sight is impossible, then nobody will do it. If he can convince us that you can't do it, you won't try. And Christ said, be holy because I am holy. That's God's words. That means be perfect because I am too. You can be. But the enemy is telling everybody you can't. Society wants to believe that you can't. Because the, instead of the bar being here, we bring it down to a level where we can reach it. And now here's what happens. Once it's there and we don't want to reach that one anymore, what do we do? Drop it again and again. I got news for you. If you ever played limbo, <laughs> it goes down too far, you can't get under it. And if you think of, think of that, when it gets that far, the weight of sin is so heavy, you'll never get under it. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never make it. Friends, your Ebenezer needs to take the place of that limbo bar, I'm telling you. And your Ebenezer has got to stop the slide. And you have to say, God, help me. I'm not going any further than this. Satan's getting, getting no more. And from here, it's all up. I'm done. Right. Have you ever, friends, uh, gotten in an elevator? And, you, and you, it's, it's a bunch of floors, and you push one, and for whatever reason, it keeps going up and down past your floor. And you're like, what in the world? All I want to do is get off on my floor. And, for whatever, and people keep coming on, coming on and getting off, coming on and getting off, and you, here you are, up and down, up and down. And I'm thinking, that's kind of like Christianity, kind of like our Christian life. Uh, we're kind of up and down all the time. And God's like, what are you doing? Get off the elevator. Stop going up and down. Okay? Come up here to this floor. And when you've mastered that, go up to the next one and the next one and keep going. You know why? Because I want you up here. Your bar doesn't need to be down here. It needs to be up here with me. We spend... Countless days, weeks and months, determining what we like and what we don't. We know how we want to act, and we know how we want to behave, and we have determined what we believe, think, and feel. That's what we do. We've done it for a lifetime. But God has proven to us that all of that can be broken and dismantled, and you don't have to be held to that. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. Doesn't matter what you've always believed. Doesn't matter what you always thought was right or wrong. God can break all of that, start anew, and give you a brand new outlook because that's what he does. That's right. That's right. A brand new set of goals and a brand new outlook on life, too. How about that? <laughs> we can be forgiven. We can change. And we don't have to live in the way that we have learned. We can stop now and God will help us. That's a fact. What's more, we don't even have to pay the penalty for all the disobedience, all the sin and all the wrongdoing in our lives. Why? Because Christ did it for us, and he accepts us once Amen. we turn from it. Amen. What a deal. Lastly, Christ 
is offered as justification to us, the guilty. You see, justification, friends, whether we like it or not, is required for God for his satisfaction. Justification is required by God for his own satisfaction. Now, it doesn't really matter if we agree with what God requires or if we don't understand it. It doesn't matter if we struggle with it and think that it appears a little bit silly or maybe a little ridiculous. That's, that's an awful lot for the little things I did or didn't do. Well, it ain't up to you. If God says that for reconciliation, something has to die for your sin, then it does. God requires it to be saved, and his requirement must be satisfied. God says this has to happen, or you can't get saved. Jesus died for you. Now you have to die to self. That's right. That's right. Because your world is no longer yours. Your house, your car, your stuff, your life is no longer yours. It belongs to him. Because if it belongs to you, well, now you want to exert authority over it. But if it belongs to him, doesn't matter. You know what I found? When you take your hands off of it and quit trying to do this, God gives you more. More authority, more responsibility, more stuff, more blessing. He just does. But he can't do that. He won't do that until you stop and let go. It isn't, it isn't yours. It's his. And anything I have or don't have, God determined. And I'm cool with that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to gain things. I'm not telling you to dump your financial portfolio. I didn't say that. But you have to be willing to part with it if God tells you to. And you can't know that until you surrender to him completely. And once you do that, now God can do things. Justification, friends, is just another synonym for salvation. This word conveys the image of this courtroom in which a guilty person hears not guilty from the presiding judge. Everybody wants to hear that, you know. Everybody that ever goes into a courtroom accused of anything wants to hear not guilty. Amen? Everybody does. Now, the fact is, though, it's not absolute. In God's court, every one of us is absolutely guilty. You understand that, right? Every one of us who walks into that courtroom is absolutely guilty. You, you, you do know that, right? Everybody in here needs to say it with me. I'm guilty. Everybody that comes before God is guilty. Yeah? Every one of us. There's no question about our bad choices and sinful lives. We deserve the sentence guilty as charged. Every one of us does. But the eternal judge who demonstrates his love through the gift of his son further underscores his love by setting us free, friends, from the rightful penalties of our sin. He sets us free. In other words, we're guilty, but when we accept him, He cuts us loose. I don't understand it, but he does. I, I, I didn't deserve it. I know I didn't deserve it. I know what I deserve, friends. And then that. It doesn't matter what I am now. I, know, I, I remember a time when I wasn't. And there are things that I have done in my life that I could never go back and fix with the people because they're dead. The things I might have said to them. Things I didn't do that I promised I would do. Stuff like that. I didn't do anything terrible. You know what I mean. But God doesn't care if it's terrible or not. You see? God, God doesn't care what the sin is. We're the ones that worry about the severity of the sin. We're the ones that determine what's a bad sin and what's a not, not so bad sin. God doesn't care. 
Because it's all sin to him. Isn't it? You see, we're guilty, but when we accept him, we live according to his commands. We stop our sinful activity. We stop our sinful thoughts. We stop our sinful beliefs. We stop them. And then he declares not guilty. And we're set free and accepted in his family, in his kingdom, and, this, and the, our sinfulness is remembered no more. We're treated as sons and daughters and heirs in the kingdom of God as if our sin never happened. To me, that's pretty amazing. So I want to talk with you about the justification and the meaning of it. Billy Graham often reminded us that justification means this, just as if I'd never sinned. Now this kind of judgment in a modern courtroom could be an act of mercy if a judge offered a way of legal escape from the rightful punishment, but that doesn't happen very often. Now, A judge may set aside the punishment and give you a probation to see how you do with it and re-invoke it if you don't. Right. That's a fact. Yes. But the penalty is still put in place. It'd be nice if a judge would offer a way of legal escape from the punishment. The offender could start over in life with no restrictions. Wouldn't have to worry about their checkered or sketchy past, whether prospective employers would look or not and find anything. It's also possible that such an act in modern courtroom would be considered by critics to be a miscarriage of justice if the crime wasn't punished. But the Apostle Paul wrote about a merciful God who's not bound by human rationale or human reasoning. And he does the unthinkable and the unimaginable by making the first move. Christ did. He offers to provide a way out for us who are the guilty, regardless of our sin, how bad it was, how many we committed, or how often we committed them. Because he's not concerned with that. And as our worship team comes, friends, Scotty, go ahead. An old hymn proclaims, Christ received sinful man. This promise is the essence to me of the gospel message. Though we accept and proclaim the truth of it, friends, we have difficulty oftentimes with our finite minds. Understanding the depth of God's love and the meaning of the event that we call Calvary. You see, but and I begin to think about that and I realize we're not really expected or commanded to understand all of the depths of the theological attributes concerning salvation. We're commanded to believe the truth and to find the joy that comes in a relationship with God. That's what verse 11 tells us. And then we're to nurture and deepen our relationship with Him so that He can teach us by His Word and the power of His Spirit within us to surrender our will and our way, to become more like Him, not only in spirit, but in thoughts, beliefs, and knowledge. And when that happens, my friends, that will bring us to being like Him in our actions. Remember, Paul said in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, see, some people want to live just renewing of the heart. That, that's not enough. Got to go to the mind, too. Okay? So those people who think it's all about the heart, they're wrong. God has to renew both. You understand? 
Balance. Talked about that two years ago. Balance. God wants both. And when that happens, Paul says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Does God want you to be perfect? Yes, He does. Can you do it in this, on this earth? Yes, you can. John Wesley said not, he didn't know anybody had ever done it, but it was possible. Why? Because Christ was perfect, and He said, be like me. What I did at Calvary made the way for you to be perfect in God's sight right here, right now. So what's holding you back? The only thing holding you back is you. Because Satan can't stop you. Oh, he'll, remember those roadblocks? Remember those detours? He puts those there. But you determine whether they stay or not. Because the power of Jesus blows those out. And you're free to walk with him. Stand with me today. if they want it. What's keeping you in your pew? Really? Really? All of us, friends, need to surrender today in some manner. Every one of us. There's not one in here that doesn't need to surrender something. God says, is it really that important to you? Can you just let me have it? Because if you let me have it, that might be the last block that's keeping you from having me completely and me having you completely. I want God to have everything I've got. You? Today's the day. Things new. Who needs to make all things new? Things new. God of mercy and love. Do what only you can do to make all things new. You can bring such beauty from the depths of all my pain. Only you can take this shattered heart and make it beat again oh you hold us all together in your hands i surrender all i have and all i am do you have just one thing that you use to escape stress in the world and the things that are going on in your life well, if it's something that isn't Christ, then it probably needs to go. Because he's the only thing that's going to make a true difference in your life. If you've got to have a drink, or you've got to have a cigarette, or you've got to indulge in this thing, or that thing, or whatever it is, I'm telling you, you don't need that thing, whatever it is. Not that they're all bad, but the fact is, it's replacing what he can do in your life, and he is the one that will make a permanent difference. Friends, don't substitute God in anything.
The altar's here today. I'm struggling today, guys. I really am. Is my mic on? I'm struggling today because I don't feel like God is allowing me to close the service. I, and he, he, <laughs> to be honest, it's only happened a time or two in my entire career. I, I just feel like there's, there's somebody or some people here that haven't, they've heard the words, but they haven't really surrendered everything. You're relying on other things in your life. And, and, and you know you've got to surrender them, but you don't know how because you're so ingrained in you, or you, you don't know how to deal with the pressure of life or your job or whatever, the, the fact or your relationship, I don't know, but whatever it is, God says, but, but how long you really need, you know? I mean, you, I mean, you're close. You're right there. You're so close. You just, you just got to get rid of it. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.